0: Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin on A Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 75 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So before I get started, I'm going to share with you my little coffee mug. It's a mama bear mug that Gracie got for me. And one of my stickers here is called hashtag vintage mom life. So I'm in a Facebook group now and sort of a group of women called vintage moms, vintage mamas. And it's for women that have (laughs) had a baby over 35. Every baby I've ever conceived and delivered, I was over 35. If you've had your first child over the age of 35, you're a vintage mama. And so I think that's funny because a 35-year-old woman right now is 24 years younger than me. So I always feel like there's nothing vintage about that. But I had all four of my children, Baby Gordy, Gracie, Molly, and Jack, over the age of 35. I love this group. It's just this really, really wonderful woman. She has a podcast, the Vintage Mama podcast, and I've been a guest on it. She did a wonderful job. We had a wonderful conversation. So, if you go on any podcast sharing site, you can find the Vintage Mamas. And she's, her podcast is terrific. She gives little tips and things. Yesterday, it was like a 20 minute podcast about things she does to head off catching a bad cold. And she talked about vitamin C and zinc. And when I have a few minutes to spare, I always listen to her because she always has something to share. She did a great episode about time, how you never get time back. And that's really stayed with me. When you've lost a child, time becomes of the essence which relates to this, the period of my life that season seven talks about. The other thing I've mentioned quite a bit, how going back and telling these stories puts me back there and makes me relive it. So I've had some vivid nightmares. I wake up like, you know, sweaty and stuff. But I also think that that's, that's just processing. You know, we have things happen to us in our lives and we process all of that over and over and over again. It's not a one-time deal. You can put it in a box, but the box is right there waiting to explode. (laughs) I'm in a weird place. So episode 74, the one I just did, talked about the restraining order. And the thing about restraining orders for me, and as I continue this season and we go along, is when they're abused and used incorrectly, they hurt the people that really need them. This is how I feel too about people that lie about abuse. If you make up an abuse story and it wasn't true, you're hurting all the people that aren't believed who really were abused. It's an incredibly difficult path to navigate because you never know What happened to somebody to make them do these things? And how I felt following helping Amy with the restraining order against Roy is that I had been duped. Now, I will say as the season goes along and the story becomes fuller and you see everyone's role in what actually happened, (laughs) you wonder who's duping who. It's really, really tricky and difficult. I have said over and over again as well that as an educator and a lover of children and as a child who didn't have A lot of adults who knew my true experience when I was little and were committed to keeping me safe. I am very, very in tune to children who are unsafe. And I will always feel on some level that I have failed Morgan and Teresa because as much as I tried to do to help them, they have two parents that are doing everything they can to keep their story accurate, even if it's at the expense of everyone else involved. And that includes children. And that hurts me. This episode will really focus on the year that I had a sabbatical in the school district. And this was an incredible honor for me. I felt very, very, very lucky. I've I've approved and disapproved sabbaticals since mine. I was making good money at that time. So you're asking a school district to pay you to not do what they hired you to do, which is teach whatever it is you're teaching. But what you're doing is creating curriculum or doing research or doing something that, that will benefit the district or the school. And so my sabbatical was on health for young children that we didn't, we didn't teach health in a meaningful way in our elementary school classrooms, that PE was sometimes competitive and really, really isolated kids that weren't athletic. Ask any, any overweight child or any super shy child to share a bad memory of elementary school. And 90% of the time it's in PE class, which is heart-wrenching because we don't get to choose the body in which we live. And so if part of your experience is being picked on or nailed with a dodgeball because you can't run fast or you don't have quick reflexes. You know, you're just, you're just setting up an example for bullying. And so my sabbatical was all about creating a curriculum, incorporating reading and writing, incorporating activity, incorporating art. So really with my CAGS, I have an advanced degree in educational leadership through the integration of arts. So my sabbatical had craft activities. It had music and dance. It had Games and activities. It had reading and stories. It had writing. It had sharing. It was a really, really complete curriculum. I worked with the school nurse, especially when I went later in the year to Walker School with some of the kids that were a lower income that really had much more difficulties to overcome than the wealthy kids that lived in the Kimball neighborhood. I was very, very much looking forward to it. Professionally, this was probably one of my best years of teaching. And at the time, I didn't know it would be my last good year. I'd have one more year and then lose my job. And it was heart wrenching. Heart wrenching. So, when I go back and talk about these times, what I pictured ahead of myself is not what happened to me. And I still sometimes sit in disbelief. Fall of 2008, Amy and I were really struggling. I was really, really having a hard time. I alluded to some things that happened over the summer that were major, major, major. But the biggest problem for me was Amy's utter devotion to this new relationship she had and the clear expense it was having on her children and her complete disregard for owning it. She did not care. Whatever was functioning inside of her, and I have to believe that it was an illness. You know, the word mental illness is so negative. It's the brain. So whatever was going on in Amy's brain that made it okay for her to completely disregard her children, to focus on this relationship, is significant and something that I cannot stand in judgment of. I have put my children second as well. Not to that extent ever. You know, I've never left them alone. But they spent a lot of time heading into the school year alone. So the school year starts. So I've, I've had that episode in the summer where those girls were alone or sitting in a car in a parking lot or in a facility waiting and waiting and waiting for their mother to you know, take them home and mother them. I believe that at this time, Teresa just went and lived somewhere else. And I can't blame her. It was just, when I say lived, she had friends that she could stay with and, and she did a lot of that. And that put a lot of pressure on me and other moms to look after Morgan. And that was impossible sometimes. It was really, really difficult. And here's the thing. Morgan is a seven-year-old at this time, a little girl. And she's bounced around and doesn't really know what's going on and is probably developing coping me- mechanisms of her own. So it wasn't even like it had been when, when Gracie and Morgan were playing a lot together. It was just incredibly difficult. The school year starts and my biggest feeling was relief. Now at least the girls can be in school all day. And Teresa was on cross country. One of the first behavior changes I noticed in Teresa was I would take the girls cross country team to a race called the Cigna 5K. It was a huge 5K in Manchester. And we would hand out bananas, hand out food at the finish, ice cream, sandwiches, and things. We'd set these things up. You know, there's 5,000 runners in this race. And it was a blast. And we made good money for it. And so I brought a bunch of girls and we all got the green t-shirts, you know, the volunteer t-shirts, and I set them all up. And I had some complaints. Somebody come up and said, we think it's your kids kicking over an outhouse you know, the porta-potties, there were hundreds of them. So I went and looked into what was going on and it was a group of kids, one of whom was Teresa. And I had never seen this side of her, just this like, yeah, I'm a badass. And so I had mixed emotions. Part of me really liked it. Like, that's right. Damn it. Get angry. Stand up for yourself. But I also couldn't have my cross country team vandalizing porta-potties. And she had brought a couple of friends with her. I'd let them come that were not on the team, but they were friends of hers. And I just felt committed to that. So we had to have a bit of a talk and, you know, she felt bad and she apologized. And the behavior didn't continue, but it was a it was an eye-opener for me. So the school year start. During the day, I'm at Kimball School, and I'm doing classes. I'm doing my sabbatical. I'm seeing the kindergartners. I'm seeing first grade and second grade. So really, really primary grades because that's how the schedule fit. We had half days. We had like six of them throughout the year, and that was when teachers and paraprofessionals and district staff went to workshops. Chris Rath, in her ever, ever- build a dome over it so nobody knows what's going on method of being a superintendent. She decided that we would do all of our professional development in district, which was fun because a lot of teachers, like I, I, it was called doing a strand. And so I hosted a recess strand for paraprofessionals because they were the ones that were out on the on the recess. And we I taught them games. I taught them activities. I remember Ember came and did it and she was a teacher. And she was a wonderful addition to the strand because it took away the teachers are better than paraprofessionals think. So I did that and I did all of my classes during a literacy arts period of the day. So once a week, these kids got literacy arts. So every day I had two or three different classes five days a week. It was awesome. All of our lessons were on safety and relationships and choosing good friends. And, and so you can imagine the conflict and all that, that often went on with children that were coming from volatile or violent homes. I began to see a lot of the very, very common traits of children in this situation in Morgan. 90% of the time, she was just fine. As I've said before, she was a very, very, very diligent, hardworking student. Most kids that age are, they love school. School is a fun time. And I remember we read a book called Mean Jean the Recess Queen, and and how her behavior got switched. And then we read a book about trees. Oh, I should dig out all my sabbatical stuff. It was such a wonderful year. And what I remember as well is, School librarians being a super helpful aspect. Paula at Walker School found so many wonderful books for me on integrating mind, body, and spirit and how we learn to be healthy and more than just what we eat or how much we move, but how we think and what we say. It was awesome. And I still have boxes of student work from this year. So what I have is I'm at school. I got to bring Gracie and Molly to school, which was awesome. They were both in the building with me. Molly was in kindergarten and Gracie was in second grade. Their classrooms were right next to each other what I got to do was bring them to school every morning and go in with them and be a part of their day. It was, the, it was such a wonderful, wonderful experience for all of us. So I was, would, of course, be on the playground during recess and during you know morning drop-off. And the, the thing I miss most about Kimball School is the number of parents that were on the playground in the morning. Now that you drop them off and you're not even allowed to go in the building, they go in and they walk around to music, which I guess is fine. But that wonderful community disappeared when the schools were put together, when Kimball was torn down and McAuliffe School was built. I would be on the playground in the mornings, and more often than not, a Morgan didn't arrive in time for outside lineup. In the early part of the year, she did, and Amy and Bob would come together, and it was just a very, very uncomfortable dynamic, very uncomfortable. And she was, in the beginning, would try to come and find me and talk to me, she being Amy. And that was fine, but I, but I really wanted to Spread out and just navigate the whole reality. I had I was doing this very very important thing professionally. I didn't. It wasn't like I was a mom dropping off and I had time. Although I never had the time, I always had to get to the high school. But as the fall went along, my relationship with Amy became much more stressed out. And of course, in her mind, it was all my fault. We both worked for the timing company still, and I timed some cross country races. And I needed help with the technology. And and Bob, the owner of the company said, you need to ask Amy to help you. And Amy was very mad. She felt like she was doing it voluntarily. You know, not that I'd not voluntarily helped her too many times to count. It was just a really, really hard time. So I remember going to the house to get some computer stuff and she was sitting and working on it. And I sat and waited and she was helpful and she was very angry that she had to do it. But what I remember most is the house was a disaster. Toys everywhere, which was fine, but there was also, they had this new puppy. And so there was puppy droppings that hadn't yet been picked up. Not a lot, but I mean, you know, enough to be alarming. It was just chaos. And and I I, you know, if I took you on a tour of my house right now, it's sometimes houses are chaos. But I know that it made me realize, and this is when I felt better sometimes about Roy not being in the picture, is the amount of effort it must have taken her to keep that house presentable for him and the number of fights they must have had more than the ones I witnessed it must have been mind-boggling. That's all I have to say about that. But it was alarming to me I had to step over a lot of things. And then I remember the puppy dog had two broken legs. I'm not quite sure. It happened when the dog f- was falling off a bed, and somebody pulled the dog back on the bed. I don't remember the details, but now this poor puppy dog has these two casts. That might have been at the end of summer or beginning of fall. I'm not sure, but it was very, very. It was just one thing after another, and, and my, all my alarm bells were going off. And she did not want support from me in a way that I was comfortable giving it. As I've said before, as a teacher, you're a mandatory reporter of things that seem off, and. And I was very, very clear with the school district that I didn't want to be a reporter, but, but I was concerned about the family. That was the school year that mornings for Morgan were incredibly difficult. And I won't go into great detail. Morgan's story isn't mine to tell, but it was clear that whatever was happening at home left her utterly distraught and unable to function. And she would be in the car and the, and the school personnel would go out and get her and bring her in. And the minute she was in the building, it was like a light switched and she was fine. I can't go into that. But I remember a couple of times watching and making eye contact with Amy, like, how can we make this easier? And the help that she needed was much more than me as a full time educator could do. I had to be to school at 745. I had my own two children to get ready. And she oftentimes did not understand why I couldn't come over and help. But I wouldn't have been helpful. By this time, in the out of school setting, I was not a friend in the eyes of Morgan. I was, I was not a friend. And, and so I had to my thoughts were, how do I give Morgan space? How do I stay back from this sweet child that's in the middle of this chaotic reality? So there was that. After school was cross country and, and it began to be a habit now where Teresa would say to me, I can't come today. My mother called, I have to go home. And so there were some times when I said, look, just bring Morgan to practice. We're at the park, bring her to the park and you can participate in the workout and she can play in the playground. So that happened a handful of times. And Teresa wasn't the first person that was in charge of a younger sibling. Years ago, I had a runner named Leslie and her little sister, Evelyn, came to a ton of practices just because that was how it worked. Sometimes families rely on the older siblings. And so, but it was more and more. And Teresa's willingness to really jump in and try to improve as a runner, you know, she's not athletic. She doesn't need to be. She's an incredibly creative human being. As an adult, she does amazing things. She has the most creative mind and artistic mind and imagination. It's wonderful. I didn't want to push it. My big thing with her in cross country was it was a group of girls that would be there for her and they were, but I I could see it. I could see as the season went along, she was just pulling in and pulling in. I also had her in health class. I got to see her and, you know, sort of get inside of her mind and share time with her. It was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful. As the school year went along, I had less and less sort of regular interaction with Teresa, but she spent a lot of time, a lot of time in my classroom sharing with me and talking to me. You know, when she had an open period, she'd come and hang out there. I had these big recliners in this. I had this floor to ceiling window and I had a couple of chairs there and students could come and sit. It was just a nice way for them to, you know, during, as long as they weren't interrupting the class I was teaching, I didn't mind students being there. And my other thought was they're listening to a health class. So anything that we're learning is going to be helpful to any adolescent, whether or not they've heard it before. I started to really, really pull away from Amy and our time together all but disappeared. I would check in with her sometimes. She would check in with me like via text, but it was less and less and less. We were still on social media together. And so I would see her posts and it was clear that she was really, truly falling in love with Bob, which is fine. As I said, they're still together. So clearly they're each other's person. You don't stay with somebody for 15 years or however many years it's been now, unless you really love them. So I have some relief in that. Not that it makes how she treated her children justifiable but it wasn't one in a long line of people she found her person and that's amazing we all should be so lucky but things started to escalate what i saw in the transitions for morgan was more than alarming and then the phone calls began so as i said before i had some friends in that neighborhood so i had this boy on track and he had a younger sister and he would come to me and share with me her bedroom window abutted morgan's bedroom window and there was only maybe you know, 5 feet between the houses it's a very narrow so in their old houses and old windows, wavy glass. So they're not insulated sound wise. And she said, she was wondering if you still spent time over there because she never, ever doesn't hear the daughter crying. And so I reported all of these things to the school. Another other than that's significant is when Amy and I communicated, it was via email and it was often on school email because she knew I would check that email during the day. I didn't, I didn't sign into my, my home email during the school day. She told me to keep everything on on public email because then it's public and it will never disappear. So the truth of the matter will never disappear. And I'm very, very much looking to use use a lot of that information in an upcoming project that I have. However, so I kept everything with Amy relating to everything going on, on my school email. I would just reach out and reach out and reach out. And of course, the school is limited in what they can do. If the parent presents a a feasible answer and can create a a time where the child seems fine, they just get away with it, but it continued and continued. Then I started to notice that all of a sudden the front porch was full of stuff, like pieces of furniture and boxes. And so it like she was just emptying the house out. So keep in mind, this is Roy's restraining order year. So everything he owns, I mean, everything in that house, furniture, you know, knickknacks, paintings, all of it was his. And he would go and ask for things. And, and I think over the course of that year, he was able to get some things, you know, things that he would need to furnish an apartment and all of that. But she really had was very adept at manipulating language. And so he would ask for things and she would say it was inconvenient to get it. Or he would ask ahead of time and she wouldn't bring it. And the police officers wouldn't let him in to get it. That's his side of the story. I don't know the other side of the story at all. Amy and I weren't talking anymore really at this point. So as winter went into spring and it became 2009, I felt finally that I was a bit free from the relationship. My sabbatical at the Kimball building was done. So I didn't see Morgan on a daily basis anymore. In fact, I seldom saw her at all, unless I was at an activity at the school. I was spending much more time now at Walker. And I was halftime back at the high school. My sabbatical was a full pay for a semester. And when the semester ended, I just felt like I still had much more to share and much more to do. And so I took a pay cut. I went back halftime and only got paid halftime, but I used all of my off time to finish the sabbatical, you know, another sacrifice I made for a superintendent that would screw me over (laughs) later on. Here's my little bitter Barb. So I didn't see much of her, but I did still see a lot of Teresa at school. And oftentimes there would be, I remember one time, I think she just took off and there was all this over the loudspeaker for her, you know, Teresa, please report to the main office, you know, Teresa, please report to the main office and over and over. And then of course, because I knew her, I was asked, you know where she is. No, I didn't know where she is. And, you know, and there was also times during the year where, again, Amy would want me to hold on to things. In my effort to want to try to help her, sometimes I said yes and sometimes I said no. But as she really developed a relationship with Bob, I became obsolete in her life. And that was a huge relief to me at the time. There was a marriage proposal. There was this picture of them sitting on this big leather chair that was Roy's. And they're sitting on it and they both have their winter boots on. And my first thought was, oh my God. If Roy ever saw this picture, he would go nuts because he was just fastidious about cleanliness and wanting things taken care of and not made dirty, which is fine. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But, <laughs> you know, that wasn't how this household was being run. And so, you know, it was just one of those things where I wanted to be happy for Amy. I just didn't like what I saw in her children. And I didn't like what I heard about how Bob treated the children. And so now she's invited this person to her life that I'm sure she's demanding they love. And he's following her lead, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I just know from what I saw in the behavior and the emotional well-being of those two girls that I was concerned. I had a wonderful spring, spring track. We had a wonderful track season. We hosted the state meet. I, I actually got an award for doing this amazing job hosting the meet, not knowing a year later how different things would be in my life. It was the Class L meet. It's called Division One now. We had it at Memorial Field. It was amazing. It was such a fun, it was just so fun, you know, for Concord High School track and field to host it. I think we did it two years in a row, but it was just such an amazingly good time. And the girls ran well. I had a couple of relay teams. I actually, I remember Meredith, one of my best runners really hurt her arch and she ended, ended up ending her season, which was heart-wrenching for the relay teams because she was a big piece of it. So, you know, it was just one of those things where it was, you know, has again, my whole life, the best of times, the worst of times. But as the school year ended, I was just on cloud night. I, I had this amazing year. In the following year, was supposed to sort of go a certain way and it did not go that way. And a lot of that was my choices. And then we went to the Jersey Shore. And I remember my friend, Jen, who lives on my street, she did a summer camp, a Girl Scout camp for several summers. In this particular summer, it just every week was rainy. It just rained all summer. The month of July is 31 days and I think 20 of them were rain. Rain, not even just cloudy, but rain. So we drove to the Jersey Shore. We were left at like four in the morning in a rainstorm. And when we got to the hotel at like three in the afternoon, it was like 90 degrees and sunny. And I remember taking pictures with my little flip phone camera on the beach and texting them to Jen. And she was just so like, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm looking at. Oh my gosh, because it was hot and sunny and it was just still 50 and rainy in New England. And so we spent 10 days at the shore in Pennsylvania. Best vacation ever. We we just had 10 days of hot, sunny weather. That was our summer. When we returned home, it was back to 60 and 70 degrees and rain. It was just an incredible turning point sort of summer. Kimball School was not going to be used anymore. So Molly would be going to first and second grade in the Walker building and Gracie would be doing third grade in the Rumford School building. And they were just sort of parceling the students out and that worked quite well. I have to say the dance of demolition and building was was intense in those next couple of years. That was a big change, a new school building for both of them. We had our vacation. We had track camp. I came home and it was like the rainy, rainy summer. By this time... The one-year restraining order was over. So I'm sort of putting together my good life and everything is really, really good. And all of a sudden, poor Teresa comes to me. It's, you know, it's like March. It's the very end of the school year. She just wants to finish the school year. You know, both kids really would have done better to be able to finish the school year. But I believe that Amy had to be out of the house. Again, I only know Roy's side of that story, but I do know that all of a sudden, Teresa was really, really upset. We have to move. And so they moved And so she was heartbroken that she couldn't just finish out the school year and have, you know, finish and not worry about credits and all that kind of stuff. But that is not what happened. They up and moved and the house was then empty. And so now I've lost all contact with both children because any contact I had would be through Amy. Amy and I were no longer really texting one another at all. She didn't share the move. We were really completely separated at that time. And then the other piece was suddenly where I was back in the picture. So I had tried. It was probably March, February or March, that I searched for Roy on Facebook. And I just thought, you know what? I need to find him because I'm really worried. And Facebook wasn't like it was now. You couldn't find people as easily. Facebook started as just college. It was a way for college students to connect with one another. And you had to be in college or have a college email address to have a Facebook account. What happened is all these people with Facebook started graduating college and they wanted to keep their Facebook accounts now that you're going through life and now you have people that never went to college but are peers with these people and they want to have Facebook. So Facebook became for everybody, but it was a slow process. It took a long time for it to come. So it wasn't like now where everybody's Facebook page is public in terms of the profile picture and who you are. It doesn't mean you can see anything, but you can see that they have a Facebook and you can message them. So I found a way to message Roy and I sent him a message and there were like two pages. So when I go back and look, I still have all that. And I reached out and said, I was just concerned. And and I know that you think I'm on Amy's side and all of this, but I'm just concerned. Are you okay? And what's going on? And all of this. And I never heard back, which didn't surprise me because I think he just thought I was, you know, connected to Amy. I have my doubts now. Now that I know how savvy he is with social media, he couldn't reach out to her, but he knew enough about her life and what was going on that he must have been able to see her page through somebody else i don't know i can't speculate it's not my place to speculate but hindsight tells me he knew a lot a lot more about her than he let on when we first reconnected so the first time i actually saw him and i was going by their old house and he was on the porch and i drove by and i thought he flipped me off but apparently according to him he waved i don't know so when i was at track practice i i saw the boy that lived that was a neighbor in that neighborhood and i said oh my god he's back this boy said oh i know i know that's such a, such a bizarre, we're hoping they all just move. And so that was when I got a lot more information about how horrible that household sounded from the perspective of the kids and how they felt terrible. And I just remember saying, why didn't you do anything? Like, did your mom think to call social services, or the police? And they're of that method that you just avoid, you step back and avoid, you know, it's not our business, which irks me because If I had been able to really, truly witness more than I saw through the school, I, you know, I would have been more likely to make a call, but I told everything I saw to the school, the school, and it's the school's job. If they're not doing it, you know, that's a horrible thing. I remember we had a conversation about it and I said, well, I think I'll just steer wide. And so I steered clear. I didn't go by the house much, but I did start to notice all of a sudden the stuff on the front porch is disappearing and, and the house is starting to, you know, the landscaping is better. It really had fallen apart. Amy did nothing. She had put these spiders up that belonged to Roy at Halloween and they were up for like six months, these giant spiders on the front of the house. It was, I don't know. It was just weird. So I began to get a bit anxious because I just didn't know what was going to happen next. But I did drive by a few times and I started to notice the house looked much better, but I did not reach out at all. So it got to be the middle of the summer. So it was a rainy, rainy summer. So Molly and Gracie and I were sorting through toys. we were just doing a major purge we were at the age now where the, the toy room when they were little had a lot of toys they no longer played with. And little by little, we were cleaning out the toy room. And I had made two or three trips to Merrimack Valley Daycare Center with these toys, which they loved. So it was a rainy day. And here's what's kind of weird. One of the fun things about Roy is he, d- he would do fun things with the kids. And so they had, I told you that Victorian house had all these uncarpeted stairways, steep wooden stairways with no carpet. So if you fell down, you were going to hurt yourself there was this song they sang. It went, hold the rail, hold the rail. So whenever we went downstairs, and not commonly, but sometimes we'd sing the song. So that rainy morning, it was July 22nd of 2009. We're going down the stairs and we're holding stuff. And so I'm like, be careful. So in unison, Gracie and Molly start singing, hold the rail, hold the rail. So it was just funny. And then we, so we had some reminiscing about Morgan and remembering when she came to play and that we hoped she was okay. It was just one of those, little moments in time. So 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, it's later in the morning now, but I'm still in pajamas pouring rain. And all of a sudden, Gracie's in a panic. Mommy, 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 Morgan's daddy's on the porch. Morgan's daddy's on the porch. And so I look out and there's Roy on my porch. And so I don't know what to think. So I open the door and he's very well dressed, suit and tie, you know, a nice jacket looking very, very well put together. Not in a pilot outfit. He's got a suit on. So I imagine he had a court date or something. I don't know, but he was very, very dressed up. And he goes, Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm just here to return a book. It has your name in it and your keys. And he said, I was just going to bring them to Amy. And I went, no, 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 no. I don't want Amy to have keys to my house. She had made like four copies of my house key, which again, when I saw that, I'm like, what the heck? So all those months that she was angry at me and all this, she had keys to my house. She had returned the key I gave her, but she had all these copies. I said, no, I'll take those. I don't talk to Amy. He goes, you don't? And I said, no, we haven't spoken in months. No, thank you. No, 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 no. He said, do you have a minute? And I said, I do. Do you have a minute? And he said, yes. Yeah. So I closed the door and we sat down on the porch and we spent like two hours, two hours going back and forth. I, I just shared the entire year what had happened from the restraining order. You know, I didn't, his old cell phone number, he had to change everything. He had nothing. So I didn't have his old cell phone number. I didn't, you know, I didn't have his email. You know, it was just so different. Social media, we're so much more connected now. If this were to happen now, I could find someone like Roy in a day. But I didn't know how to do it at the time, nor did I really think I needed to. So we sat on the porch for probably two hours just sharing what had gone on. I shared in a very quick fashion the events, the fall, the summer, that five-day period where Amy was just completely separated from the girls and not taking care of them at all, our falling out, me reaching out. And he said, I know you reached out. You know, he was dating a woman named Laura at the time, and Laura had said, don't respond. She's probably... You know, connected to Amy, which you know, if you're trying to protect somebody, I can see it. I just filled him in a bit and he had to go. He was a pilot, as I said, and he had to go on a trip. And so he left, but we made plans to reconnect a week later. And a week later was my birthday. And so I remember the remainder of that week, Molly and Gracie had swim lessons and when it wasn't pouring rain, we would go. And so I remember on the day of my birthday, July 29th, my mother saying, please be careful. I have such bad feelings about this. My gut just tells me be careful. And, you know, hindsight tells me enough people told me that. My friends up the street, Jen and Dave, said, I wouldn't just be careful. Please be careful. But I just felt, you know, at this point, Roy is Morgan's legal father. He's adopted her. That's his legal child. And he has a responsibility to her, whether, whether it's to give up the adoption and rescind or whether it's to be a part of her life. that You know, I didn't know what his plans were at all, nor did I know what I thought was best. I just knew that their current situation was bad. We also had a family connection. So I have a really, really good friend who went to the same church. So at this point in time, Amy started going to this Christian church. It was a very, very fundamental boarding and Christian church. And I have several friends that go there. And I remember at dance, one of our, what would end up being a common connection through the church said, oh my gosh, I met this woman at my church. I'm going to give you her name and address. You're the perfect person to help her out. And she writes down, Amy (laughs) and that I should help her. And I'm like, no, my gosh. And then I shared that she was the one that I used to call her crazy Amy, which was mean, but that's what I called her. And she's like, oh my God, that's the same person. Okay. Okay. She was very helpful to the children. Teresa was in a youth group that had this girl's daughter. So now I had a connection. I could at least see how Teresa was and how the girls were doing And I asked this woman, I'll call her Mary. I asked her to please, please keep track and keep your eye out on the girls. I'm so worried about them. She would do that. And she was a bit of a go-between too. I would sometimes say, please tell Teresa I said hi. And then Teresa would say, oh my gosh, I miss you. And she would, so we, we started to be able to sort of communicate a little bit about the well-being of the girls. And that was a, super helpful. So that was in like in the spring and the summer of 2009. All of these things are coming into play in terms of making sure that Morgan and Teresa are safe and okay. At the end of the summer, we always went camping and it was Jen and Dave and their girls, Rosie and Lucy, and then Kenny and me and Molly and Gracie. So, so I had now seen Roy a couple of times. I went and spent my birthday there. He bought me a bouquet of flowers and a card. We went all through the house with me at the house. He'd cleaned it up completely. It had been such a disaster. We went and had breakfast and we shared, I just shared emails with him and text messages, all of it. And he shared all these court documents with me to create a much fuller picture of what was going on. You know, it's not that I was jumping ship, but I was a little bit, I wanted the truth to come out. You know, and I was clear with him. I do not at all approve of how you did so much. I'm, I'm never going to say you were okay doing that, but I do feel that it's in the best interests of Morgan and Teresa to at least have closure with you or contact with you in some way. You can't just disappear from their lives. And the fact that, that Amy did that, and also that Roy didn't, you know, a lot of people have restraining orders and they can still see their children. This is where I sort of stepped back and said, I don't know why you did that, because when you really research a restraining order, they could have set up visitation, and he could have maintained contact with both of those girls that entire year. And It was his choice not to, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. It really, really irks me. It irks me then, because those kids suffered, you know, and I think a lot of behaviors that were going on with Bob would have been mitigated if they had you know, connections with their dad. We went camping, and I remember during that. So during August, I had met with Roy a couple of times, and I was driving home one day, and he was painting, painting out front. And I said, "Hey, do you want to go grab a cup of coffee? Do you need a break?" And he said, "Sure." And so (laughs) he doesn't drink coffee, so I just wanted to get a coffee colada. He would have gotten like a strawberry one, and then Dunkin' Donuts was closed or something. So we ended up going to Cheers and having drinks. And this was a side of Roy I had never seen. And now that I know more about his personality type, I, I see for what it is. But we sat there for like two hours. And he just asked me 80,000 questions about myself. So let's go through the alphabet and name places we've been. Name every job you've ever had. So we went back and forth with every job we ever had. I had a blast. It was truly a side of Roy I did not know existed. And he was so interested in everything, every answer I had. He had interest. I believed he was interested. Looking back now, I wonder if it's just what he does in the beginning of things. We had a blast. We just talked about our childhoods and And our teenage years and our jobs and college and all of that, we had a really good time. Then of course I had to go home because my mom's watching the girls and I had a bit of a buzz on at the time, but it was just a really, really good time. And so I began to post a little bit on Facebook about these connections. And I remember at the time knowing it would bother Amy, but I also was hoping that maybe it would pull her out and she would respond to me. She didn't, but I know that she was looking at my posts because you can see them. And I also had now connected her with an attorney. I introduced her to a friend of mine, which I feel bad about now because I think that was not a good experience for this woman or her career, named Linda. And so she was now Amy's attorney. And of course, attorney-client privilege. I never heard anything from Linda about Amy, but but I did know that there were lots going on. And there were times that Linda would re- reach out, would I be willing to testify to this? Would I be willing to testify to that? Would I be willing to give my version of of events? And so for a long time, I did because I wanted the truth to come out. And eventually Amy stopped asking because I think she realized my version of the truth, which is the truth, did not match her version of the truth, which was what she needed to say to make things right. So during this time, my sister, Johanna was out for a walk and she walked by there and, and she texts me and she goes, oh, I met, I met Roy, we're gonna go for dinner. And I'm like, what? So I remember thinking this was weird. And so I messaged, I'm like, why are you going out to dinner for my sister? That's bizarre. He says, well, you know, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. But this is another thing that I learned about Roy. Roy always has four or five women that he's quote unquote friends with. And these are people that he sort of vets. He spends time with them to see if there's a potential future down the road. And he might say, well, everyone I date's a psychopath. (laughs) But he does, he's always ready so that when the current one fails, he's got the next one lined up is the best way to describe it. And there were two or three women that will come to play much more predominantly as as I tell this story. So I was a bit upset about it. Like I really was upset. So I said to Johanna, please don't go. This is a weird thing. And I'm potentially helping him with his children. And I don't want to create drama. But you know, she didn't, you know, she'd already said yes. So we were camping and I kept going into the camper and texting. And my friend Jen caught right on. And I told her I was texting with Roy and he's out to dinner. And I think she could see that I was starting to get really sucked in, that it was starting to just pull me under. She and Dave were so worried about me. And I just didn't see, I didn't see it. I just felt like I had to do the right thing. For Teresa and for Morgan. And this was my way to to sort of vindicate how I felt I'd failed them. (laughs) Really, really talk about just being pulled into something in a way that ultimately would leave me the bad guy. So, but I remember being in the camper, we had a camper then, and doing all this texting and Jen looking in the window and she texted me, please come out and enjoy camping. You can't fix anything. Please, please. And so I did, I just, but I was texting with Johanna and that was a one and done thing. It was just, that never happened again. But I just said to Roy, look, I would appreciate you not getting involved with my sister. This, would, this is weird and I'm not comfortable with it. He had several women in his life that used to really, really irk Amy. I remember this was one of the things she shared with me all the time, that she was really, really limited on the guy friends she could have. But he had all these women that he was friends with. And he had one, I remember at the end of their time together before the restraining order, that Roy flew down to spend five days visiting in the South somewhere. Amy was furious about this. And, you know, at the time, I just wanted to sort of support Roy being able to have his friends because I was getting wishy-washy. Everything was getting very vague. But these are two people that both did the same things but wanted each other not to, is how I look back on it now. The things that made them mad at each other were the things that they both did. And the, the key piece here is the children were second fiddle or third fiddle or not even in the orchestra sometime. So I'll stop here. We're going into the next school year where, they, where they're not around anymore. And this is where my life takes a drastic change and things really, really begin to be significant. So I've had a great sabbatical year. I've pulled away from Amy. I'm finally feeling good professionally and like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I have an amazing track camp. I have amazing summer, even with the rain. I have an amazing vacation. And then we have key day and Roy comes into the picture. And this is a perfect place to stop. I just want to sort of summarize by saying, you know, I made, I made some poor decisions, some terrible decisions. And a lot of those hurtful, poor decisions are coming up and I have to own them. And I have to, you know, ask the universe for forgiveness and understanding for the rest of my life. I could have and should have walked away and I didn't, and I will own that piece forever. I will not own (laughs) the actions of the others. Episode 75, we're marching through this, the years of leading up to Molly's disappearance. You know, as always be good to yourself, choose your friends wisely. The friends you do choose, be good to them in a healthy manner with enough distance to make good decisions. As always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, dot com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.